I don't think I have preached two Sundays in a row since, I don't think ever. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a joy to still come up here. You know, we got done last week, and I knew I had to come this week, and I was under a little pressure because I was trying to figure out who I would choose. I hadn't chose anyone, you know, extraordinary men and women of the Bible. So it's Monday, and it's Tuesday, and I'm downstairs, and Jan's like, have you chosen anyone yet? <laughs> no, don't come down here. I'm going to lock the door, even though our basement door doesn't lock. Uh, and, you know, you're, in your mind, you're going, okay, Job. It's going to be Job. No, 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 Aquila and Priscilla. That's good, Aquila and Priscilla. Thank you, Lord, Aquila and Priscilla. And then I landed on Timothy. I don't know if it's because Timothy reminds me of maybe myself, um, not his strengths, but his weaknesses. I'm not sure. But that's where we are this week. I guess I should explain the title, The Unlikely Mentee, Timothy. I say, what's a mentee? It's somebody who meets with a mentor, okay? So what's a mentor? That's a person who walks alongside another believer and, and instructs him and encourages him in his Christian walk. And a mentee is a person who receives that instruction and encouragement. And I thought of that. I thought some of the ladies at our church have a wonderful mentoring program. And my wife's one of them, so I get to see it firsthand. She's always working on that. And the other three ladies, they're always meeting. It's so incredibly organized throughout the whole process. And it's such a powerful ministry where they match up a mentee and a mentor. And they meet together for coffee. And they encourage one another. And they learn, do Bible studies. I was so challenged that I jumped in, not in the ladies' mentoring, um, but I jumped in and got two guys, and we've been meeting for six months, and I absolutely love it. I love it. And, uh, but when the ladies meet the last time before they start the season of when they're going to mentor, which I think is maybe in September, October, uh, they pray that God would help them match these mentors and mentees up. And God gives them wisdom. And they've had some amazing success. Because, you know, you only go so far and then you're like, okay, I think this is, this is going to work. I say all that to say this. Timothy and Paul might not have been matched together uh, in the mentor-mentee matchup meeting. Based on their personality differences. Think about this. Paul was around 50 years of age and Timothy was around 20. Paul was a rugged man who endured... Uh, frequent imprisonments and uh, periodic shipwrecks. And Timothy had stomach issues. First Timothy 5 says he had frequent ailments and stomach issues, which would have been very hard for all these trips that they were taking on these missionary journeys, 500 miles and 1,000 miles going on these for months at a time. Paul's a born leader, always taking charge, Timothy was a reluctant leader. He would lead if he had to, but he was a little fearful when the heat got turned up. But God, in his infinite wisdom, put these two unlikely lives together. They became one of the most powerful ministry teams in the whole word of God. They're kind of like the Moses and Joshua of the New Testament. And it's, it was such an incredible friendship. And I thank God that he gave us enough scripture that you could paint a picture of just the guy, the kind of person Timothy was. 
and how God used this young man for the kingdom of God. It's so funny. From about Tuesday night on, I spent a lot of time with Timothy. And now when I look at the New Testament books, I see him everywhere. He's mentioned 24 times. It's like, uh, where's Waldo? I didn't know who Waldo was until I saw that little young man with the striped shirt and the little winter hat and the glasses. And I'm like, I find him everywhere now. In the books, in mainly the books. Um, <laughs> but they were friends. And they were traveling companions, co-laborers for the gospel. And yes, uh, Timothy was Paul's mentee. You say, was he a good one? Paul thought he was. Listen to Philippians 2.19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon that I may also be cheered or encouraged when I receive news about you. Listen to this. For I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. Paul says, I have no one. Now, you think about all the people who surrounded Paul. There were a lot. What a compliment where he says, listen, when I think of all the people that have ministered with me and are ministering, I have no one else like Timothy. That's incredible. And last week, we got pretty heavy with the stoning of Stephen. This week, I'm going to try to do my best to make this practical. It doesn't come natural for me, so we're going we're gonna to try, although this, this weekend's in a beating and stoning also. But let's enjoy this time together, because uh, there, is, there is some bad news at the end. But remember the sentence on the top of the notes I have there. Keep looking at it. It's amazing what God can do with a person who is humble, has a genuine concern for others, and a commitment to the gospel of Christ. You're going to see that right now in the heart of Timothy in an incredible way. First, he had a solid foundation, solid foundation. He didn't get the way he was uh, by accident. He had some loved ones that poured wonderful things into his life, mainly his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. Second Timothy 1 says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve, as my ancestor did, with a clear conscience, as night and day, I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. I have reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. So Lois and Eunice had a tremendous impact in Timothy's life. Timothy's mother was a Jew, and Timothy's father was a Greek, okay? You'll see that in Acts 16. So really, they, he had access to both cultures, which would really help him on all these missionary journeys. Um, we're not sure where his father was, if he departed, if he died. Um, but he didn't take part in Timothy's religious faith because Timothy wasn't circumcised and he was a Jew. But his mother and grandmother had a huge impact in his life. And he loved Timothy's genuine faith. He says, I love your faith. It's so genuine. It's so real. It's not, it's, it's, it's absent of any hypocrisy. I think one of, the, one of the commentaries said, one who doesn't pridefully show off his faith is someone with a genuine faith. 
and his grandmother Lois had it, and she passed it on to Eunice, and then Eunice passed it on to her dear son, Timothy. How'd they pass it on? Look at 2 Timothy 3. It says, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of, because you know those from whom you learned it, and how from infancy or childhood you have known the Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. So his mother and his grandmother read him the scriptures as a child. They explained the scriptures as a child, what they meant. They told him about the Messiah and how one day he would come to deliver us from our sin, you see. I have a note here. If you were a committed Jew back then, you knew all the passages that talked about the Savior or the Deliverer or the Messiah coming. And you anticipated that. And it was not if he would come, it was just when he would come. It's like today when you talk to your kids, it's not if Christ will come. You always, it, our question is when, when will he come? Same one with them, except it was when would the Messiah come? And they had everything pointed to it. They knew he would come, Genesis 3. They knew what town he would be born in. Micah 5 says Bethlehem. They knew he would be betrayed. They knew he would be crucified because Psalm 22 says they pierced my hands and my feet. They knew he would bear our sins, Isaiah 53. You see, they knew he would reign, Daniel 12. They knew he would be risen. And then they knew that he would one day judge the living and the dead, Daniel 12 also. You see, so they were looking for it. I love that passage in John 1 where I believe it was John and Andrew spend the whole day with Jesus. They get done and Andrew runs and finds Peter, his brother, and he just says, we have found the Messiah, which is called Christ. See, they were all looking for him. So Lois and Eunice prepared Timothy's heart beautifully so that when Paul came, and preached the gospel, they all gave their hearts to Christ. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, or the word of Christ, Romans 10 says. So grandparents, I hope you're encouraged by this. Let me have your attention really fast. Your work is not done when your children become adults, okay? Because they still need your wisdom. And they are producing little ones that need to know who God is. And you can have a huge part in that process. Now, I chose my words carefully on that one. The word can. I could have said, and you are a huge process. You can have a huge, you can, it's your choice. Some grandparents say, yeah, I'm not really interested. I'm empty nest, you know, all the birds are gone or whatever. But really, there's no such thing as an empty nest when you're a grandparent. Your nest is never empty and your responsibility to instill godliness in your family is never done. And so I hope this is an encouragement to you to instill godliness in your grandchildren. You play a big part in that. And mothers, I don't know what Eunice's situation was if she didn't have a husband, if he left, but I hope this encourages your heart she was maybe a widow, but she played such a big part in Timothy's life. I'm sure that she prayed 
and I'm sure she was sometimes wondering at night when she'd explain the scriptures and read the Torah to her, her dear son if she thought, is he getting this? Is he getting this? And then he gets it. He comes to faith in Jesus Christ and it changes the entire course of his life. I thought to myself, when did their path ever cross? Like when did Paul ever meet Timothy, Eunice, and Lois? Because uh, they were from Lystra and he was from probably three or 400 miles away. It was his first missionary journey. Paul's first missionary journey. Paul and Barnabas basically left their hometown, Antioch, and you remember Tarsus, that's where Saul was from, and they only did a real short missions trip. It was like three or 400 miles. They just went, boom, around Cyprus, and then came right back. But in the meantime, they hit Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe. They're just these little triangle cities in Galatia. And he meets Timothy for the first time. And it's amazing, because he comes to the town of Lystra, he heals the lame man who has been lame from birth. And then somehow, because he heals that lame man, they think that he and Silas are Hermes and Zeus <laughs> in Acts chapter 14. So one of the priests brings out like a big animal to sacrifice. And Paul and Silas are just there, wait, we're not Hermes and Zeus. You know? And so what happens is they, they said, no, 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 we're not them. Don't do that. And then the people turn on them. They, they're, they're mad that they can't sacrifice to them. And they drag Paul out in Acts 14, and they stone him, and they leave him for dead. And Acts 14 says that all the disciples circled around Paul. He rose up, ran back into town, and he just kept preaching. <laughs> I don't know if he died there, and that was his third heaven experience, you know, that he talks about in 2 Corinthians 12 or what. But he just runs back. But you don't forget things like that. And so when Paul comes to your town and preaches the gospel, Timothy definitely remembered that. And so it says they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening disciples and encouraging them to remain true in the faith. And then he says, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. You know, there's a good chance that Paul led them to Christ on that first missionary journey. And then Paul leaves. Paul leaves Lystra. But Timothy would see Paul again. Lois and Eunice would see Paul again. But it wouldn't be for two or three years on his second missionary journey. And you say, two or three years? Are you kidding me? Why didn't Paul just grab Timothy then? He was probably 18. A lot of energy. He just came to Christ. Let's go. Well, there's a process of preparation that Timothy had to go through, of growth and maturity to equip him for the task that God was gonna do for the next 20 years for this young man. So Timothy would need preparation. I call this next point a season of preparation. And you know, preparation is really never enjoyable. The older I get, the more I realize how profitable it is, but it's never enjoyable. I played football. Um, based on my size, I knew you knew that. Um, but <laughs> I played football in high school, and the coach always at the beginning of the summer would give us a sheet, a workout sheet, summer workouts. Um, I never had my workout sheet 
in August when he wanted us to turn them in and put all the checks. I never had it. I'm like, I can't find it. I never did that. We had to go to Mishawaka Hills and run. You know how we have mountains in Mishawaka. And so <laughs> you had to run those hills. I, I barely ever did that. And that was my preparation. So you always knew the guys who didn't prepare when, when August came and it was hot and guys were just, just fainting almost. Um, that was the preparation that I should have done. And I'm sure Timothy had wonderful talents that God could use, but he had some rough edges that he had to smooth out through the Holy Spirit of God, and he used those two to three years to do that. So don't be discouraged uh, when someone tells you that you need some time to develop for God to work in your life. They're doing it for your, your own good. They're doing it for your own good. When I finished college, I had a passion to teach adults the word of God because I loved digging into the word and then I loved explaining it to people so they understood and I always saw the light come on and say, I understood that for the first time. I loved that. I knew that's what I wanted to do. Wherever God put me, I wanted to teach adults. It seems like every time I turned around in our church that I was saved at, I was teaching children. I was in VBS teaching the second grade. I was teaching fourth grade Sunday school class. And then I took the fourth grade boys uh, for the summer. And, you know, I found myself like, come on, you guys, listen. We're going through Paul's missionary journeys. and Get your maps out. You know, I mean, these kids, they don't want to know all that. And I was a little bit frustrated, but somebody shared with me, and it's true, I prove faithful in little things and God will bring bigger things to you. Just prove faithful. And I learned so much during that time. I think that's what Timothy was doing. Paul was saying, you stay here. He didn't tell Timothy that. He didn't say, I'll be back to get you. But he knew, Paul knew, God's gonna work in his life. And that preparation, that was my preparation process. Just teaching kids. Now I have tremendous respect. If you teach anyone under a freshman year in high school, I am in awe of you. And I mean that. I taught, the second, I taught two-year-olds with my wife for the life group thing. I kept checking my pulse. I was just like, I'll be all right. I have nitroglycerin. Okay, got it. Um, it's, it's rough. It's so much easier preaching here than it is teaching two-year-olds, all right? But that was my preparation time. And that preparation time's never done, right? It's not like a watch battery where you look, okay, it's charged, I'm done, I don't need preparation time. He who has begun a good work in you, Philippians 1, 6, will keep performing it till the day of Jesus Christ. You're always in preparation. It's, you're in preparation for the next season that God has for you in your life, okay? So don't push back on that. Embrace it and just say, God, teach me now, and I know you have another season for me where I will use every single thing in my life in the past. I'll use it for your glory, and I'll, be, I'll use it. I think it's 2 Timothy. He says, you want to be a vessel fit for the what? For the master's use. And God, if you want to use me, then use that preparation time. I get young men often that come up and say, hey, I'd like to teach a class. You know, I like, I'm going to teach a class, kind of like you. I want to maybe have a Bible study or a class. And I say, okay, have you ever taught? No, I never have, but 
you know, I'd, I'd, I'd like to teach a class. How about a Bible study? Yeah, I'd, I'd rather be a class with a lot of people. In it. Um, and I usually tell them this. More than once have I said this. You find someone who knows less than you about the Bible, and you teach them everything you know. And you, you be faithful at that and see what maybe God will open up something else for you and direct your life. I'm not sure if anyone's ever taken that advice. Because it's easy to just say, hey, I don't want that. Just tell me, when I, tell me what time my class starts. But you have to prove faithful in the little things. Well, how did Timothy do in those two or three years? When Paul came back to Lystra, sounds like he did quite well. He gives him a special invitation. Look at Acts 16. Paul came to Derby and then to Lystra, where a disciple named Timothy lived, whose mother was Jewish and, and a believer, but whose father was a Greek. The believers at Lystra and Iconium spoke very well of him. Paul wanted to take him along in the journey, so he circumcised him because of the Jews who lived in that area. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. And then as they traveled from town to town, they delivered the decisions reached by the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem for the people to obey. So the churches were strengthened in the faith and grew daily in numbers. So Timothy did prove faithful, not only in his home church, but it says Iconium, which was 20 miles away. So Paul comes to this town and he says, talks to the elders and he says, hey, how's How's, how's it going? Do you have any men that have proved faithful that maybe I could take on a journey? And he says, oh, Timothy, without a shadow of a doubt, he has proved faithful. Everyone knows about Timothy. He does whatever you tell him. He's a godly man. He is so teachable. He is so humble. He's so dependable. And so Paul says, Timothy, you want to come with me? You know, there, Paul couldn't get to, to Philippi because he was in his first imprisonment. And so he sends Timothy to Philippi because they had such a wonderful love relationship with that church in Philippi. And he just tells them this, I'm sending Timothy to you. And then he says, you know of his proven worth. You know, Philippians, he's proved to you already that he's faithful and that he loves you. He has a genuine concern for you. Sometimes people don't like that. I shouldn't have to prove myself. I'm a child of God, you know. I am what I say I am, right? Um, but you do. You do have to prove faithful. Um, it is a requirement that stewards, 1 Corinthians 4, 2, be found faithful. Be found faithful. And he was found faithful. Here's a great compliment for Timothy. Paul couldn't make it to the Corinthian church. And he said in chapter 4, verse 16, Therefore I urge you to imitate me. For this reason I have sent to you Timothy, my son whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life in Christ Jesus, which agrees with all that I teach everywhere in the church. Paul says, I can't come to you, Corinthians, but I'm going to send Timothy, and he will remind you of my ways. And remember when Paul, Paul said, uh, be followers of me as I am a follower of Christ. So Paul wasn't being arrogant when he said, I urge you to imitate me. I know you might think, that sounds kind of self-centered. If you know anything about Paul, he was one of the most humble men. But he knew that he followed Christ 
And he says, imitate me because I'm following Christ. And by the way, the servant that I am sending you will imitate me or imitate Christ perfectly. And that's why Timothy had such a huge ministry with Paul. Yes, why does he call him my son? He keeps calling him my son. Uh, he only called two people my son in the scriptures, Timothy and Titus. So he must have led them to Christ. He must have led both of them to Christ. And he called them my son in the faith or my true son in the faith. So Paul was Timothy's spiritual father. Maybe Timothy didn't have a father. And Paul didn't have a son. And so it was a perfect relationship. So there was something that had to be done before they left for Asia Minor. Timothy was not circumcised. And so Paul had to circumcise him. And you're like, I don't get that. I, you don't, he didn't need to be circumcised. Listen, I'll say it real short. He had to be circumcised because Timothy was a Jew. And they were going to go to a lot of synagogues. And Paul didn't want that to be the issue. Okay? So he's probably talked to Timothy and said, listen, I don't want this to be an issue. When we get to a synagogue, you might not even be able to go in unless you're circumcised. So why don't you get circumcised and then that won't even be an issue and I can preach the gospel and the mob can beat us and throw us out of town, but at least that won't be an issue, right? And it wasn't. And so Timothy said goodbye to his mother and grandmother and they began this adventure. And now the empty nesters, Lois and Eunice, became the prayer warriors for their dear son, which leads us to his pastoral initiation. There's an expression that I've heard before. That guy, we threw you in at the deep end. Have you ever heard that expression? Leaders will say that. Yeah, he started that job. We threw him in at the, we threw him in at the deep end. Uh, it's kind of uh, starts by doing the most difficult task first right? And that's what happened to Timothy. Things were calm at first on that second missionary journey, traveling, and the churches were strengthened in Acts chapter 16, verse 4. And then, as they are in, I think, Troas, in Asia Minor, Paul sees this, has this dream of that Macedonian call where a man is saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And that's when everything started. That's when they sailed over to Macedonia. That's where they went to Philippi. That's where Paul met Lydia. That's where they, uh, that's where he casts out this demon-possessed slave, uh, a demon out of a slave girl. And as that girl becomes a believer, her owner becomes very angry that he can't get money from this girl anymore that is a cultist and a, a seer. And so he calls the authorities. They beat Paul and Silas horribly. They throw them in jail. There's a great earthquake, rocks the prison, lets them out of jail. But Paul says, we're still here. And the jailer's getting ready to kill himself, remember? And Paul leads that whole family to Christ when that jailer says, what must I do to be saved? Paul says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, you and your household, and they did. And he washed his wounds. He stayed in prison. They said, you can go. And he says, you treated me terrible. And guess what? I'm a Roman citizen. And they quietly let him go. But that was just Philippi. And then they go to Thessalonica. Preaches, mob, 
throws him out of town, and then he goes to Berea, he got a little rest, and then he gets thrown out of there. And so Timothy gets initiated very quickly that this is very rough. Um, I really, Timothy is learning ministry right here on the fly, just beaten, in prison, put in stocks, and then go to another town. And you never get the feeling that Timothy is tired of this ministry or fearful or maybe tired of being in the shadows, Paul's big, 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 big persona, right? You never hear Timothy saying, hey, could you start out a, a book, maybe Timothy and Paul, bond servants of Christ Jesus to the saints of Philippi, or does it always have to be Paul and Timothy, right? Never said that. He was so humble. He enjoyed being in, in the seat of just helping Paul, doing whatever. Paul had him running to Thessalonica, to Corinth, to Athens, back to Berea. There's a part, there's a time when Timothy is strengthening the saints in Thessalonica. Paul's all the way down here in Corinth, right? 300 miles away. He runs to Paul, says, guess what? The Thessalonians are doing awesome. They love you. He goes, so good. Don't unpack. <laughs> First Thessalonians, go ahead and take that back. Okay. And he runs 250 miles back to Thessalonica to give that letter. And he never complains. You never hear Timothy complaining. Matter of fact, you never hear them having any bad times. Uh, there's something that happens when we're thrown into the deep end. We depend on God more, don't we? You've been there. I do that every time I preach. I'm driving on Conner Road 4, and I said, how did I get myself in this? <laughs> I'm in the deep end. And I start panicking way before Conner Road 4. Um, and then I have to remember, I can just hear my wife's voice. Remember, you know, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Okay, God, uh, I'm trusting you. I'm trusting you. The deep end is good because God gets a chance to show off his power in a mighty way. And you're saying, when I am weak, he is what? He's strong. And he's done that for you so many times. And he's done it for Timothy so many times. Timothy was in so many difficult situations. Um, <laughs> And by God's grace, he handled so many of them with great success. You know, Paul and Timothy, they only ministered about 20 years together. But what a powerful ministry they had. Some scholars tried to estimate how many miles Paul traveled on his journeys. They said he probably traveled 10,000 miles on foot all of his journeys. Now, he did use a boat, too, right? Um, but Timothy was with him most of those miles, just sharing the gospel. You remember uh, John Wesley and Charles Wesley? John Wesley was that old Methodist preacher in the 18th century. They said that he rode horseback 100,000 miles in his lifetime. 100,000 miles. I think he lived to be like 80-some years old. Can you imagine that? Preaching the gospel on a horse, Right? They said he'd do his sermons on his horse. Some people said he would be found just slumped over and sleeping while the horse would be just going. Um, that's four times around the circumference of the earth. <laughs> and uh, 
Paul, 10,000 miles. And that brings us to the, the end, farewells and final instructions. Gets a little sad here. I mentioned earlier, Timothy was pastoring at a church in Ephesus, and it was the hardest thing he had ever done. There were false teachers in Ephesus that he had to throw out. Older men trying to intimidate him because of his youth. Women who thought church was a, a fashion show. He had to set them straight on that. And church members who wanted to argue about things that didn't even matter. And then to make matters worse for Timothy, Paul was in prison in Rome on his last imprisonment, waiting for his head to be removed from his body from Nero. And he wrote this last letter to Timothy. And it was a sad, it's just, when you think about it, it's his last letter to somebody who has such a deep, close friendship with Paul. And he's passing on the baton. And when you look at this book, some of Paul's commands to his young son, to his young mentee, give us a hint that Timothy was starting to get a little weary and discouraged and maybe starting to let things slip a little bit. He says, for this reason, 2 Timothy 1, I remind you to fan the flame of the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us fearful or timid, but he gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or me, his prisoner. Rather, join me in the suffering for the gospel by the power of God. You read that and you think, was Timothy getting, feeling fearful or ashamed of the gospel or even ashamed that he knew Paul? You see, he says, don't be shame, shameful of the gospel or me. Or 2 Timothy 2, when he says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Was he standing firm on the gospel message or was he starting to compromise because so many people were being thrown in prison? Or when it says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Was he letting up on his studies because of all the silly conversations that some of those false teachers were having with him? Second Timothy 2, when it says, flee youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, and love, and peace, along with those who call upon the Lord with a, with a pure heart. Was Satan, Satan winning some battles in that area and trying to knock Timothy out of the ministry? He could have. Or this one, 2 Timothy 4. Paul says, I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with great patience and instruction. Were some of the false teachers in the church putting pressure on him to back off of preaching the word. 2 Timothy 4.9, he says, make every effort to come to me soon. And that, you get to 2 Timothy 4, you, you see their relationship. Paul is talking about a lot, of, a lot of the people in his ministry. And he tells Timothy, he says, listen, bring my cloak. And then he says, bring the parchments. The word of God. 
Because you remember, Paul, in his last imprisonment, is in like a 30-foot in diameter, 10-foot deep Mamertine prison in Rome where the, the city wastewater ran right through that. And Paul was in that with other prisoners. And Paul just says, I need to see my friend. Now you've got the mentee ministering to the mentor. And that just gets my heart when he says, make every effort, Timothy, whatever you have to do. I know you're in Ephesus. I'll send someone there to pastor. I need to see you before I die. We're not sure if Timothy did see Paul. Not sure if he made it. There's nothing in the, uh, in the scriptures that tell us. But when I finished this study, I wondered, did, did he stand up for the gospel? Did Satan knock him out of the ministry by youthful lusts? Did he keep preaching the word faithfully? Did he share the gospel or was he continually ashamed? And then I found one remote verse at the end of the book of Hebrews that I would have missed if I didn't have good commentaries. <laughs> Hebrews 13, 22, at the end. I don't know who wrote Hebrews. Nobody really does. Some of you say the first thing when you get to heaven, you're going to say, where's Jesus, right? First question I'm going to have is, who wrote Hebrews? You know, then once I get that out of the way, then I'm, uh, we really don't know who wrote it. It's inspired by God, but he says, but I urge you, brethren, bear with this word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly, take notice that our brother Timothy has been released, with whom if he comes soon, I will see you. Greet all of your leaders and all the saints. Those from Italy greet you. Grace be to you all. Tradition tells us that in the year 97, at the age of 80 years old, he was still pastoring the church at Ephesus. He tried to halt the procession in honor of the goddess Diana by preaching the gospel in the streets. And the angry pagans beat him dragged him through the streets, and stoned him to death. I guess we have our answer. He was still preaching the word. He was definitely not fearful when the heat was turned up. And I had a note here, like spiritual father, like son, Timothy was faithful to the end. You know, you want to be used by God in a big way. I know, we all do. We say, I'm all in. I want to change the world. Um, I want to be sold out. I want to, hey, what do I do? Read that again that I have on the top of your notes. It's amazing what God can do with a person who is humble, has a genuine concern for others, and a commitment to the gospel of Christ. Start there. Live a life of humility. Be genuinely concerned for others and be faithful wherever God puts you. And then have a strong commitment to the gospel of Christ. And if you're not a Christian here this morning, you know where I would start? John 3, 16 and 17. It says, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him 
should not perish, but have everlasting life. And then he says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. I pray that you'd think upon that this week. Let's have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us extraordinary people in scripture that we can say they were normal people who just loved you and lived humble lives and, and, and walked with you. And it's amazing how great and how wonderful and how powerful you use these people. And so, God, I pray that whatever we have to do, whatever preparation you have to go, that we have to go through in our lives, Lord, our prayer is that we would be good and faithful servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our prayer that we would be vessels fit for the master's use. Our prayer is that people would look at our lives when we're here and when we're long gone in glory and they would say they were proven faithful. They were faithful to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll give you all the praise and all the glory because it goes to you. It's in Christ's name, amen.